Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member special access to cool events behind the scenes footage and so much more plus you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon it's in you please be in it visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now that's podcast with an s thanks from kqed Hi, it's Erica here. Before we start, I just wanted to give you a quick warning. This episode contains some graphic descriptions that some listeners might find disturbing. On a Friday in June of 2021, a man named Robbie Perry stood outside the door of room 305 at the Hampton Inn in Vallejo, desperately trying to get inside to help his mother. Robbie's mom, Sherry Nicoletta, was one of the unhoused Californians staying in hotel rooms under a statewide program called Project Room Key, which was meant to house the state's most vulnerable people during the pandemic. Robbie was there because he knew his mom was really sick. She got COVID, and during a phone call earlier, she sounded like she really needed help. In the call, um, as they describe it, she was just moaning as if she was in pain. She couldn't even speak. She, they just knew that something was very wrong with her. This is Scott Morris, an investigative journalist with the Vallejo Sun. Robbie told Scott that when he got to her hotel room door, he tried the extra room key his mom had given him. It didn't work. He called security. Their keys didn't work either. Robbie was told to wait till Monday which was three days later. That's what he was told, apparently, um, that, that nobody could help him enter that room, even though, um, you know, for all his knowledge, that his mother was having a really serious emergency and he couldn't get into the room and check on her. So he tried other ways to find his mom. He called hospitals. He called the police. He even looked up ways to break into the room himself. It all led nowhere. So Saturday passed... Sunday passed, and finally on Monday, Robbie went to the Hampton Inn again. This time, Kevin Sharps, one of the managers of Project Room Key in Vallejo, was there. Kevin took Robbie back to his mother's hotel room door. According to Robbie, he said, are you ready? And Robbie didn't know what that meant, but Kevin opened the door to the room, Robbie walked in first, and he saw his mother on the floor, and she'd been dead for days. Robbie's mom, Sherry Nicoletta, had died in her room. She was 63 years old. In Vallejo, at least four other people have died while participating in Project Room Key. There are still a lot of unanswered questions, but one thing we do know is that vulnerable people fell through the cracks. 
and that there's been a lot of confusion and finger pointing about who is truly responsible. I think it shows that this program is just extremely disorganized. There was little coordination. Nobody knew who was in charge and nobody kind of was taking responsibility. And I think it, it just shows that the people who were staying there weren't treated with a certain dignity. I'm Erica Cruz Guevara, and welcome to the Bay, local news to keep you rooted. Today, the dysfunction inside Project Room Key in Vallejo. Yeah, Project Room Key um, was started in the first months of the COVID-19 pandemic. It's a simple concept. People who were homeless were particularly vulnerable to catching it because they couldn't socially distance. They couldn't stay at home like a lot of people were being told to at the time. So this was a way for people with medical vulnerabilities um, were, were given hotel rooms. The, the program is paid for um, by kind of a, a lot of different funding sources um, ranging from the uh, U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development grants, uh, the state of California, the Department of Social Services, the county, and the city of Vallejo. And then the city, you know, was operating the program through its housing department, but would contract with different providers to provide various aspects of the program, ranging from mental health care to um, janitorial services, security, and case management. At first, it, it was operated by, I think, a couple different nonprofits. It's about 100 people. They rented rooms for there. It, it, you know, by, by most accounts, it was pretty good at first. There was uh, food for people. There were services. You know, it, it, it seemed to work pretty well in, the, in those first few months. I mean, was the program in Vallejo like generally considered a success? If you asked the city of Vallejo, uh, or if you would ask the city of Vallejo, before a few months ago, yes. Six weeks after Sherry Nicoletta died, the mayor of Vallejo, Robert McConnell, put a Facebook post up and congratulated um, the program provider Unity Care on, quote, a job well done. Um, it's not clear whether he knew that Sherry Nicoletta had died at the time and just didn't disclose it, or if the city staff had actually been keeping that a secret from even the mayor and the city council. And I know you eventually would find that four people have actually died in this program in Vallejo, and then you even confirmed a fifth person had died. And obviously, as we've been talking about, one of those people is Cherry. Can you just actually tell me a little bit about who she was as a person and, and her background? You know, her family says, you know, Sherry was a, a, a really nice, like, a gregarious person, just a really fun, you know, she, she was homecoming queen in high school. She loved to water ski, she loved to be outside, she loved a horseback ride. I spoke to Alyssa Borales, uh, who was Sherry Nicoletta's daughter, and Alyssa used to work for the Solano County Department of Public Health and uh, recently moved to Los Angeles with her family. She was born in Utica, New York. But then they relocated to California, and she grew up most of her life in Green Valley, um, Fairfield. Um, and then when she graduated high school, um, she told me, she was like, 
just knew she wanted to get out of that area. And she just thought the best way that she could like get out of the area and travel is to become a flight attendant. She got a job as a flight attendant and she loved to travel, but she also struggled with mental health problems. Specifically, she had bipolar and to some extent, you know, she had used drugs as well. At some point, her mental health problems kind of resurfaced in her early 40s. She's going through a hard time. Her father died. She's getting divorced. You know, ultimately, she ended up um, losing her job as a flight attendant and eventually lost her home. It was just hard for anyone to deal with. So um, they got a divorce and uh, yeah, she relapsed. And then it just kind of went downhill. Sherry kind of had a couple different temporary housing situations through Section 8 and eventually lived in her car on the streets of Vallejo. And lived that way more or less for 20 years. Like she, you know, just like wasn't well and, but like she was always present. Like that's the one thing is like for some people who their parents are like not in their lives, like I do feel, uh, what's the word, like grateful. Like we always knew like our mom loved us. Like my mom was always like, not there, but like there, you know, like we, we could find her. I think her mother was a little bit too proud to kind of accept her children's help too much. Alyssa said that when she would see her mom, she would ask her if she needed anything, if she could help. And her mom would say, no, 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 no. She was like, I'm good. I'm good. In fact, it was always like, what do you guys need? Like, can I do something for you? Like, do you need anything? Do you need money? And I was always like, no, you're living on the street. I can't take your money. I think it, it was difficult for them to, to kind of help play with their mother the way they wanted to. But, you know, they, they tried the best they could. I mean, every voice message I have from her is, I'm calling to check on you. What do you need? Tell me if you need anything. Um, you know, and, and for my brother, too. Just anything she could give, she would. She's still your mom, right? Yeah, I mean, her intentions were good. She just was, you know, she wasn't well. So Sherry Nicoletta was living in her car for 20 years. She was the exact kind of person Project Room Key was trying to help. And I know she gets connected with the program in April of 2020 and that she starts off in the Hampton Inn in Vallejo. What did she say at the time about what it was like there? Yeah, she would would text her daughter pictures of her room, you know, say it was great. She was she had a nice big room. She she was was really happy there. She felt much better having that space. And Alyssa was really relieved. You know, I, I think she was really worried about her mom when COVID hit. Because what I was thinking is like, wait, my mom showers at the twenty four hour fitness. Like they're gonna close the gym. Like where's my mom gonna shower? And she just had no idea how her mom was going to get by. So when she found out that she was going to have this room in, in the hotel, she, she was, um, you know, super relieved. So many times I was like, let me put you in a hotel. Like when it was raining or cold, let me put you in a hotel. No, 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 no I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'll let you know if I need something. So when the hotel project room key came about, I was actually like, oh, thank God. Like you have a room, you can shower, like you can bring food there. And my mom actually like for when they were, when she was at the Hampton Inn, she really liked it. So, I mean, it seems like Sherry really liked staying at the Hampton Inn, but I know that in July of 2020, things start to take a turn for her. What happened? The residents of Project Roomkey were moved from the Hampton into the Roadway Inn, 
which is a residential motel down by Interstate 80 uh, in Vallejo. And and by most accounts, it's it's a pretty rundown motel. She she moved in there and, and she ended up calling Alyssa and complaining about the conditions pretty early on and, and just had a really long list of complaints. Both of my lamps don't work. Um, no light in the bathroom, um, no hot water. Yeah, it's just one thing after the other. The only thing that does work is the air conditioner and the phone. From what I hear, everybody's got a problem here. It's not clear why residents, including Sherry, were moved from the Hampton to the roadway. Scott says from what he can piece together from public records, one guess is money. That moving residents to the roadway would save the city on some cash. And by the fall, a new organization took over Project Room Key in Vallejo. What can you tell me about Unity Care? Unity Care took over Project Room Key in about October 2020. And they are an organization that primarily would provide services for foster kids. They would operate foster homes or they would kind of provide some behavioral health services to kids in the foster system. And, and they operate pretty widely in Northern California. I think it was a total of about nine counties. But they'd had some problems recently. In 2019, they actually had their license revoked on six foster facilities in the Bay Area. The description of those um, facilities included is saying that they, they were left in disrepair, that there was trash piled in the backyard, soiled furniture and floors, that there was no smoke detectors, that there was, um, you know, this long list of problems and, and they ended up um, having to close um, six facilities in the Bay Area but a little more than a year before they ended up coming into Project Room Key. When it comes to Project Room Key in Vallejo, what was Unity Care responsible for? Unity Care's contract says that they were responsible for case management services, meaning that their job was, was sort of the being that connective tissue to connect the people to these services. The contract also specifies that they were to take over managing the property itself at the roadway starting in December. Unity Care says that never happened. They never picked up that portion of the contract. Mm. The receipts seem to show that that's the case, that they are never paid for that portion of it. But... The contract still specifies that they're supposed to be checking in on residents on a regular basis and that they are supposed to have somebody on call for nights and weekends. That's budgeted in the contract for case management. So, okay, so Unity Care takes over. It sounds like there's a little bit of confusion over what exactly their role is in Project Room Key. But but what happens at the roadway inn? Do things get better once Unity Care steps in? No, things did not improve at the roadway inn after Unity Care took over. Shortly after that, um, the first three people that I know of uh, who died there died. There's three deaths that I know of now that happened in November. There's, that's a person I just found out about yesterday. I don't know their name. It's Gary Berg Jr. And then that's Angie Cook. Um, and all three of those people died in the month of November 2020 at the Roadway Inn. Coming up, what Sherry told her family about these deaths, 
what the city of Vallejo did about it, and who's responsible. Hi, I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. I know that meanwhile, Sherry Nicoletta is is still living in the roadway inn and she I know she's hearing about these deaths. What is her reaction to all of this? How is she feeling? She's afraid. I mean, she texted her daughter and Alyssa showed me these text messages and uh, she says in there the three and two weeks dead. Another one died yesterday. Uh, one by one, they're going to kill us off. Alyssa talks about this. You know, I don't think she had anything reason to believe that anyone was specifically, you know, killing residents, but at the same time, I, I, she she was just alarmed. And I called her and I was like, what do you mean? And she's like, they're trying to kill us here. And like, it's so hard because like, when my mom was alive, I always was like so defensive of everything that she said. Like, I was like, mom, what are you talking about? Like, who was trying to kill you? You know, like, you're being manic. But like, in hindsight, like, was she being crazy? <laughs> you know, like, was there any like validity? It's not clear that the city really took any response to this, but I can say that after Angie died, they had a cleaning crew come in. About 10 days after that, that cleaning is done, the city has an inspector for mold come in and do an extensive inspection of the property. And what did they find? They found a lot of mold and moisture in the roadway in. The city, in a, from a public records request, released more than 1,600 photographs to me from the inspection. And some of these photos just show huge black patches of mold on the walls and the windowsills and the air conditioners, you know, climbing up doors in the kitchens, bathrooms, just all over these rooms. At the same time, the inspector was taking moisture readings of the instrument when he would um, take these readings. Some of these readings were just higher than his instrument could even detect. 
I mean, the thing is about mold is it, it's, it can kind of cause little upper respiratory tract symptoms, spores get in your nose, it's caused sneezing, coughing, wheezing, things like that. If you got a respiratory condition, I have surmised that uh, yeah, being in a mold infested environment probably isn't good. In February of 2021, about six weeks after the mold inspection, residents of Project Room Key at the Roadway Inn got some hopeful news. They would be moved back to the Hampton Inn, the much nicer hotel where they stayed at the beginning of the pandemic. Sherry was excited about this. She texted her daughter, saying, quote, We are moving back to the nice hotel by the Marine World. But life at the Hampton this time around turned out to be very different from what it was nearly a year before. What are the conditions like when she gets back? It seems like it's deteriorated in the months after they return. They come back and um, multiple people have described to me how there wasn't really any cleaning, that you know sometimes people, people had pets there, dogs, um, or you know sometimes even people would go to the bathroom in elevators or hallways or something like that. There was trash piled up and there just really wasn't any janitorial or housekeeping to speak of. Why is it so much worse at the Hampton Inn this time around? How did it get so bad? It, that's not clear either. It, it, it's, it just seems like it did over the course of like several months, you know, that you've got different providers coming through. You've got different people that are in charge and, and kind of nobody figuring out what's going on or the program had just gone by and people were just tired of it, that this was a challenging population that they didn't want to deal with. And like, again, the management of this is so opaque. I can get the accounts of the people who were there, but just nobody's really telling me about what happened with the, the actual program management. It sounds like it's just confusing who's really in charge and then that just leads to it sounds like neglect yeah that's what you get the city and unity care kind of pointing fingers at each other says this was their job this was their job mm. you know nobody nobody wants to step up and take responsibility for anything it, it it does seem like there was a lot of confusion about specifically whose job was to be doing what at any given time And I know, Scott, the result of that has been that some of the most vulnerable people have then fallen through the cracks. And I feel like we've kind of now arrived back at where we started in this story where Sherry ends up getting COVID in June of 2021. She's sick in her room and eventually dies there while her son Robbie is trying to reach her and get into her room. Do we know for sure what Sherry's cause of death was? I would say we don't know 100% for sure. Uh, her death investigation is ongoing in the coroner's office. The coroner, as a matter of fact, actually listed her initial cause of death as uh, methamphetamine use. Um, mm. And that didn't really make a lot of sense given the circumstances. You know, I think she had admitted to using meth in when she went to the hospital in June 1st. But again, she'd been quarantined with COVID-19 for about two weeks by that point. Um, so actually, the death certificate was amended um, by the doctors at Sutter to list her official cause of death as COVID-19. 
um, and complications from that. It's not clear if the coroner did attempt an autopsy in Sherry's case, and if it is, I still have not received those results. What do Alyssa and Robbie say about their mother and, and the circumstances that led to her death? I, I mean, they're just so confused. They, they, I, I, it's unbelievable how this happened. I think that people who are living in Hotel Project Room Key, they can be lumped in as this group of meth users, homeless, mentally ill. I think sometimes people think like, I don't know, no one cares, like, let's just move on. But, um, you know, people do care. They love their mother and she's been treated as less than human for a lot of their adult lives because she was homeless on the streets of Vallejo. You know, they had a good relationship with her, but a lot of people don't understand that. Like they uh, would judge them by extension of their mother. And, you know, I, and I, I think that the way Sherry ends up dying, it, it just, you know, exemplifies that dehumanization that they felt towards their mother for, you know, for 20 years. These were people, like they might've had problems just like anyone else, but they were still people and they still deserved dignity and respect. And I just feel like, I just question, I wonder, you know, were they treated with that? I mean, just being again, isolated in these rooms and some of them left, just purely left to die. I mean, when you look back at this story, Scott, what are, what do you think are the most significant things that led to this moment in, in Sherry's life and, and the lives of other folks who died in Project Room Key? You know, one thing I, I think about this story is that um, like this is, this is a, a medically vulnerable population by definition, right? These are people with chronic conditions that um, have a lot of health problems. And the fact that they died, like, isn't necessarily like surprising or scandalous that can happen what always surprises me about this is that the fact that at least three of them that i know of were left in their rooms for days so if you're going to be creating a space for medically vulnerable people there needs to be some kind of effort and to check up on them because you know these are are again by definition people that are going to need extra help and, and it's not enough to just put them in a room and say that, you know, we've done our job. And it's particularly when somebody is diagnosed and quarantined with COVID-19. It's hard to reconcile that, you know, somebody could come and say, hey, my mother's having an emergency and that you wouldn't recognize that you desperately needed to open that door now, not in three days, but this instant that door needed to be opened. I mean, Scott, who is responsible for this? It's hard to pin responsibility, but I think ultimately, you know, the buck stops with the city of Vallejo. They're the ones that were in charge of operating this program. They're the ones that contract with people. They're the ones that were supposed to make sure that everybody was doing their job effectively. And they're the ones that ultimately need to answer for what happened. Well, Scott, thank you so much for your reporting. Thank you for 
sharing it with us. I really appreciate it. I appreciate you having me on, Erica. Thanks to Scott Morris, an investigative journalist with the Vallejo Sun. I'm going to leave you a link to Scott's story in the Vallejo Sun in our show notes. Please go ahead and check that out. This episode of The Bay was produced and cut by editor Alan Montesilio and me, who scored this episode and added the tape. KQED's podcast senior leadership team includes Jessica Placek, Kiana Mogadam, Jen Chien, Vinnie Tong, Ethan Tovin Lindsay, and Holly Kernan. Finally, if you learned something from this episode like I did, please send it to a friend. I'm definitely going to be sending it to my family here in Fairfield and Vallejo. And you can always email us with your thoughts. We always love hearing from you. We're at thebay at kqed.org. I'm Erica Cruz Guevara. Take care, y'all. I'll talk to you next time. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. 